Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani. As I've said many times when interviewing a rare disease patient or their loved ones, they could easily be mistaken for medical experts because they've had to do a deep dive into whatever the condition is, especially because there is often a lack of knowledge in the provider community about it. That's why I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Mark Corson to Raise the Line today, because he is a strong advocate for patients participating actively in teaching the medical provider community. Dr. Corson is a metabolic geneticist who spent over two decades leading work in that specialty at Boston Children's Hospital and Tufts Medical Center. In 2017, he joined VMP Genetics as Director of Education and Physician Support Services, providing remote consultative assistance to clinicians at 10 major academic medical centers caring for patients with proven or suspected metabolic disease. His work at VMP also includes directing the patient-teacher registry and patient-teacher video catalog. In the rare disease space, he's on the board of the New England Regional Genetics Network and is a founding board member of Rare New England. I had the pleasure of connecting with Dr. Corson recently to learn about his work in medical education and the rare disease space. And before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to Dr. Tom and Maria Rebecci, who were the ones who first introduced me to Mark. So Mark, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Well, glad to be here. Well, as we often like to start for our audience of uh, current and future healthcare professionals, can you give them a, a bit of your background? What got you interested in a career in medicine and then specifically in genetics and metabolic diseases? Well, I think actually my parents wanted me to go into law, but when I um, did an internship in a law practice, I really didn't like it. I actually thought, I don't want to take this much responsibility in court and have, and, and because of the way I speak or don't speak well, someone's future is going to be um, impacted. So I went into medicine where life responsibility, where you're responsible for somebody's life and but the difference is in law, you're in an adversarial relationship with someone else. But in medicine, all the caregivers are on the same team. Well, that's okay. I mean, you know, and the and the and the adversary is disease. Oh, I'm I'm okay with that. And um I like the detective work in medicine. I like the interactive interaction with patients, the continuity uh with families. It's, a, it's an incredible privilege to be part of the drama of people's lives. That is very personal. It's, it's so close. It's so human that it is, um, uh, that, that has been the big prize for me. And it's taught me amazing lessons. It ta it's taught me, um, it's helped me prioritize things in my own life, what's important and what's not. It's taught me, don't be judgmental. Everybody has pain in their lives and if someone looks like they have an easy life, well, you just don't know them well enough uh, or their lives. So, so uh, medicine offers offered so much of that. Um, and of course, I worked at camp for years, so pediatrics was you know the 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 <laughs> the best uh, portal to get into medicine. But it was in my second year of pediatrics where there was a little girl. She was about two. Uh, this was in Toronto, and she developed a metabolic acidosis. So her acid, her the acid level in her blood um, rose, and the first thing you think of was this could be an infection. So I was writing the orders for blood culture, urine culture, and writing antibiotics. But then I thought, I, I don't know what 
I, I don't have an idea of where to go if this isn't an infection. So I left Toronto for a month and went to Children's Hospital in Boston and did an elective in metabolism. And seeing the practice there, it was a, it's a very multidisciplinary clinic. Um, I fell in love with it. And uh, so two years later, I actually went back to do um, formal training in that area. So uh, I'm pedi I'm pediatrician um, with a focus in metabolic uh, genetics. Well, that's incredibly well-spoken. And certainly, um, I think you're a great advocate for people going into the career of medicine and specifically, I think, metabolic disease, pediatrics. And actually, before we get into the, the work you've done in teaching and rare disease, um, I did want to, as an aside, you know, let you talk a bit about kind of how passionate you are about getting people into the field of metabolic uh, and genetic disease. I know the fellowship we talked about. Do you mind telling our audience a bit about that? Because I know several of them will probably be very interested in in following you and BMP genetics as a result. Oh, well, I mean, genetics, I mean, genetics is sort of the way of the future. It's impacting every single um, aspect of medicine. Biochemical or metabolic genetics is actually... Um, one part of uh, genetics where which is dealing with the biochemistry so there's some sort of chemical imbalance where something is present in too great concentration something is uh, deficient and either one of those scenarios can cause symptoms and so once you know that there's an automatic approach there's a, a automatic way of thinking about how to treat that you either bring down what's accumulated or supplement and um, that's the beauty of uh, biochemical genetics because there are innumerable ways of treating the patient. Um, these are lifelong diseases, so you get to follow patients over time. It's it's brought me um, lots of opportunities to interact with a lot of people, not just in the hospital, but also uh, colleagues from around the country. It's a rather small community, so you get to know uh, a lot of people elsewhere. I've um, spoken at state legislatures um, advocating for insurance mandates to cover uh, some of the products that we prescribe. I've directed a PKUCAM for a number of summers, and you see people in a very patients in a very different context. Um, I, um, right now, I direct um, uh, the co-direct the North American Metabolic Academy, which uh, for almost for 14 years now we've um, run a boot camp for genetic trainees. And it's a wonderful opportunity to get all the, these genetic trainees together for a week. And yeah, we learn a lot, but uh, we have all kinds of fun. Um, we we make up songs around the disorders. Everyone is required to write a haiku. There's a talent show. There's a metabolic jeopardy at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the week. It's sort of like camp. And um, and people love it and people want to come back. So, um, so if you're interested in biochemical genetics, um, you have a seat, you have a, a place at the academy. That's awesome. That's really great to hear that. Um, and I, I definitely will link link out on the show notes so they can they can uh, learn more. I will um, say it's funny you mentioned the song and the haiku because um, you know as you know with this year Osmosis and Elsevier launched the Year of the Zebra and are doing a lot around rare disease education. Largely, this is one of the reasons you and many other guests have been on the podcast. Um, and one of the things I've been talking to our producer, Michael, about is, is ChatGPT. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's from this company called OpenAI that uh, has, uh, it's probably one of the leaders in artificial intelligence. And I actually have had it 
write out a song uh, and a haiku and a po different poem and a children's book about rare diseases. Um, so I'll have to share with you the link. It's just chat.openai.com and you can just ask it to do something like that and it'll help. It'll write something and give you some creative ideas around it. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So there I was. Um, I was invited to give the uh, the board review lectures on metabolism to the National Society of Genetic Counselors. This was about 15 years ago. And um, what I realized when I got there is many of these genetic counseling students actually had never had a metabolic, they were in centers where metabolism was, wasn't very strong. So their introduction to metabolic disease, this whole area of genetics was at their board review course. So the tension was exceedingly high. And what I learned at that, at that, um, um, in that situation is find ways to break the tension in the room. So right in the middle of, um, of lectures, I would break into a song or tell a story or read a poem. And, uh, and I'll sing you a song right now that I wrote back during my pediatric residency. It's not specific for genetics or rare disease, but nevertheless, it, um, it tells a story and it goes like this. C-B-C-B-D-R-L-G-I-G-U-G-C. MSU for CNS and PTPTT, PVCs on EKG, S1, S2, S3, and IV with some KCL right down here, if you please. CVP and JVP and IVP done stat. When you want a chest x-ray, write down PA and LAT. But if you should get sick one day, you'd better hope and pray. Your MD knows her ABCs or you'll be DOA. <laughs> Amazing! I we've done over three hundred fifty episodes of Ray's Live. We've never had a guest sing a song, and let alone one that that is a, a great way to learn medicine. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. You're very welcome. And since you share that with me, I mean, I, I will share this with you because I think I think you'll find it really fascinating. Because we're we're going to be using this at osmosis increasingly, and uh, for the zebra initiatives we're we're doing. So, Mark, if you can see my screen, um, mm -hmm. just I'll, I'll narrate it for our audience. It's, uh, I'm at chat.openai.com. Um, and I can just say, you know, write a poem about metabolic diseases mm -hmm. and, um, including, if you want to give me one, give me like a favorite one that you want to include, maybe PKU or something like that. Um, sure. About, yeah. PKU. Why don't we go with PKU? Okay. Let's see what it says. And, uh, I'm just typing phenol ketonuclease. Let's say PKU because I think it's able to differentiate generally. And again, full disclosure, I don't know what I'm I'm doing this live with you, so I have no idea what's gonna come out, but we'll see okay. what it does. So I said write a poem about medical metabolic diseases, including PKU. It says metabolic diseases, oh how do they, they do vex? PKU is one, so complex. A genetic disorder inherited at birth, it affects the body's metabolism from the day of one's birth. Wow. Phenylalanine is a problem, it can't be processed right. It builds up in the body, causing a fright. In babies, PKU can cause severe brain damage, but with proper treatment, such damage can be managed. Diet is key. Low in protein is the rule. Special formula and foods must be the fuel. For PKU patients, every meal must be planned to ensure their bodies function as they should, as best as they can. Metabolic disease is a burden to bear, but with proper care, a healthy life can be had without despair. PKU may be tough, but it can be managed with grace, allowing those affected to live a normal life with a smile on their face. Jeez. So this is AI... This was just generated by AI right now. So, well, please make sure this is forbidden from any genetic trainees because I want people to generate their own stuff. I don't want people <laughs> getting it from the, um, from the internet. 
But um, that's amazing. That's amazing. And it's accurate. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a, another example, I'm saying right at US only style question about NGLY1 deficiency, right? We, we've right. had we've a feature on here and we can just see what it does. So it'll write a question. And I think this is where, you know, obviously this has changed. This will change the game for content generation. And I think physicians, clinicians will hopefully be able to better use tools like this to take care of their patients, to make the diagnosis faster, et cetera. So anyways, I just wrote out a question and we can ask it, you know, to write out the answer explanation and things like that too. So just thanks for humoring me as we, as we go through this. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite remarkable. Yeah. Cool. Um, awesome. Let me go back to, back to your story. So, you know, you're obviously a teacher, you're very passionate about um, including the patient voice in your teaching. Can you give us an overview of kind of how you started doing that? And like, what, what are some of your activities right now as far as educating medical students, fellows, current uh, nurses and others about genetic diseases and specifically rare diseases? Well, um, I used to, so when I was at camp, I used to teach swimming. I love to teach swimming. So, um, and then, it, you know, moved on and I sort of grew up and um, teaching, I find teaching is magical. It's the transfer of, uh, of knowledge and excitement. And you see this, you really do see a light above somebody's head turn on and they sort of get it and they, they have the smile on their face. Um, so um, um, so I, I, I sort of run with that and I'm not afraid to experiment. So uh, back in 2007, when I was at Tufts, um, recognizing that there's a workforce shortage in metabolism. There are lots of centers that don't have an on-site metabolic uh, geneticist. I started going out to six um, regional academic uh, medical centers in the Northeast every month for a day. And I would um, uh, discuss uh, patients. I would bring patients uh, to present their story. I would lead rounds about a general topic. And what I realized in, that, in those, those four years that was a focus group to try any number of different innovative um, things. And some things work beautifully and something bombed, but um, it was an opportunity to, to, to have a lot of fun. And um, so that has resulted in, um, in, in, in many different things that I'm doing. One is the North American Metabolic Academy. Again, um, that it's, it's intense and it would be intolerable if it if there wasn't a humorous side or if there wasn't um if we didn't create innovative learning formats we have the faculty debate in front of the uh of in front of the students and they kind of go back and forth and the students may change their mind you know in terms of the topic and that sort of um that sort of um uh, pushes the the faculty to try hard and try to influence the the audience we have a, um, a rare disease day speaker series with rare new England where um, <clears throat> this past year we, uh, during rare disease day season. So between January and March uh, we bring um, uh, patients with rare diseases or, or, or parents to different medical venues around the region. And so we went out to 11 different centers, um, genetic counseling programs, medical centers, medical schools, and brought these patients to tell their story. And it, um, the audience is floored. They haven't heard this before. Uh, it gives them a new way of thinking uh, about it. And then, and families and patients have feel like, feel empowered. If you ask, if you ask patients, what, if they could change medicine, what they would say is, I wish more doctors knew about 
what I had? Why do I have to know more than they do all the time? And so it's an opportunity for them to teach. And so it empowers them. And, and, and that makes me feel good. We're doing um, right now a, a number of online courses for uh, professionals who work in this area of medicine metabolism. Doctors are trained in this area, but nurses are not, genetic counselors are not, dietitians are not. They go in, I mean, they, they're trained in, in, in their discipline, but they have no idea about metabolism. So um, I'm sort of helping to do some of the formal training, give them some of that background. And uh, because they're already interested in the area because they're working in it, and I'm sort of giving them a better foundation of knowledge. We're running a number of things, a couple of things through VMP Genetics, um, because I believe that patients um, teach about disease a whole lot better than I do. I mean, I can talk about facts and I can even talk about cases, but patients tell stories. And storytelling is so incredibly powerful as a teaching tool. Um, it's long after my lecture is over. If I've co-presented with a patient, you know, a month later, they won't remember who I am, but they'll remember the patient and they'll remember the story that the patient told. And so um, that helps me a whole lot because if the patient can get into their brain because of some human interest angle, then hopefully some of the uh, stuff that I teach about will get sucked in with it. And um, so um, since 2007, um, I have been teaching in, uh, at Tufts Medical School and Boston University Medical School, not in genetics, but in biochemistry, because biochemistry is kind of dry. And um, But if you bring a patient in to talk about what happens if one of those chemical pathways is defective, suddenly you're putting the human back in biochemistry. And um, so biochemistry is the direct clinical, I'm sorry, metabolism is the direct clinical application of biochemistry. You show me a, a chemical pathway, and I'll introduce you to someone who lives with a defect in that pathway. And so these are the, the, the highest rated classes in those biochemistry courses. And so now we have a, we're building a national patient teacher registry of um, patients and, and, and uh, family members who will talk to medical audiences. Um, and that's on our VMP genetics website. If um, anybody who's interested uh, can go there and um, you can you can sign up and we'd love to have you. Right now, we have almost about 90 uh, speakers representing about 30 different disorders. Um, and when we've looked for those, um, for, for, for these speakers, we came across all kinds of uh, patient videos online. And these are, these are, patients or caregivers talking three minutes, five minutes, some 10 minutes um, about living with their condition. And, um, you know, some videos, not so good, but some are terrific uh, educational tools, but nobody knows that they're there because anyway, so what we're doing is we're developing a catalog um, where, which we, we don't, we don't house the videos, but we have the links. So um, we find the videos we're writing, um, you know, summaries of them and keeping them all in place. So if anyone wants to find a video that's already, uh, you know, out there on the internet, they can come to us. Right now we have about 40 different, 40, 45 different um, videos listed. I love that. And again, like very, very true to like our even origin story at Osmosis, where we realized that the best way to learn, well, is to teach, but then the second best way to learn is through anchoring that content with real life examples. 
Um, so putting patient videos right next to the USMLE questions, right next to the videos about explanations are really important. And I've already sent your link to a teammate named Lewis, who's doing a fantastic job sending out a, a zebra of the week as part of our year of the zebra, uh, including just today. We included a, it's not a metabolic disorder, but uh, esophageal atresia. Sure. And we featured the video of a, a three-year-old named Grayson, a workman, who uh, whose video is up there front and center because it humanizes the condition, as you're saying, and it makes it more memorable. And for some people like yourself, when you were in residency, uh, you meet a patient directly or through a video that changes the course of your life and it makes you decide to focus in on that condition or that field or, you know, what, whatever it may be. Oh, so absolutely. It was that two-year-old in second year pediatric residency who made me think about metabolic acidosis and she changed the direction of my career. I had planned to go into neonatology, but then she sent me with this question. I went to Boston. I love the clinic. And 35 years later, <laughs> I'm doing metabolic disease. Amazing. Um, so, so given how much work you do in rare disease and, and again, metabolic disease and biochemical education, what are some of the main opportunities and challenges you see for the space? We've we obviously covered a lot of it. We know that this is the 40th anniversary of the Orphan Drug Act. There's more diseases being discovered every year that affect 300 million plus patients worldwide. Like, what, where do you see kind of the, the low, not maybe low hanging fruit, but the opportunities and the challenges as we go into like the next decade of the Orphan Drug Act as an example? Well, the, the, the opportunity is, um, as I said before, there's, there's all kinds of uh, treatment opportunities for, um, for biochemical disorders. And because of the Orphan Drug Act, it, uh, it, it, it enables and supports uh, pharmaceutical interest in developing um, treatments. And there is a, um, it becomes lucrative. And so many major, even major uh, pharmaceutical companies are willing to, uh, are interested in developing products if for the rare disease community, that is absolutely terrific. And the treatments are getting better and better over time. So we're looking at messenger RNA treatments. We're looking at um, microbiome-based treatments. We're looking at gene therapy treatments. So there's incredible promise. The challenge to us is our workforce shortage is because there are not enough people going into this right now that it's not only reducing access for patients, and and pay, if you don't have a diagnosis, you can't access treatment. But it's having it's having a negative effect on on the physicians that are on the clinicians who are actually treating, because the workloads are becoming uh, overwhelming. So we're in this area of medicine. We're looking um, uh, for ways to attract um, medical students and young professionals into this area of medicine. Uh, perhaps something like a, um, a medical school loan repayment program, which, uh, I mean, nothing speaks, nothing attracts better than that. And uh, so if people are willing to learn and um, work in the field for a, a set number of years, then we'll help them out. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, love that concept. And and I agree that the more more people like you, physicians, providers, as well as patients, family members who we've had talking about rare disease, the more obvious it is that, you know, the the discoveries, so not only is working in this field extremely meaningful because they get, you know, for those patients and their family, family members who have those conditions, it's so, they're so grateful and so appreciative and so engaged generally um, that like it's very meaningful to go and help them, 
right? Re- relative, yeah. obviously, chronic diseases, diabetes, hypertension need help too. But like those are so common that oftentimes people don't, you know, aren't as engaged when they have those conditions as when they have a metabolic acidosis. Um, but secondly, if you happen to discover something through a clinical trial or through bench research for that genetic condition or metabolic condition, that potential discovery could not only impact that community that has that condition or is affected by it, but more people beyond that. So like the classic example is familial hypercholesteremia. Research on that led to the development of statins, which obviously has saved hundreds of millions of lives in, in more common cardiovascular conditions. Right. No, uh, uh, agreed. I mean, I guess the other challenge is with the amazing things that we're doing um, here in North America or Western Europe or Australia, Japan, what we have to be thinking of is um, how do we help all the millions or billions beyond the ivory towers who live in countries where, and they all have, they have the same diseases, um, but they're in countries um, where there just aren't the resources. And are there ways of simplifying and um, reducing the costs so we make these amazing therapies available to them as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Like a one in a million disease. We've had several people whose kids have had that on the podcast. Um, In the US is only 330 people, but globally would be over 8,000 people. Um, And so if we're able to reach them both through content translation and localization, so they know, so they get their diagnostic odysseys reduced, but then also get that 330 patient group up to a couple thousand, then the the power of those clinical trials becomes much stronger for the development of these new drugs. So very important. Obviously, you're a great teacher. We're a teaching company. If you could snap your fingers and teach any group of people anything, and you already are, you're already doing a lot in teaching, but... If you wanted osmosis to develop a video or a course on something to teach any group of people, what would it be and why? Well, I would love for you guys to develop a promotional video about the field of metabolic genetics to sell to young, uh, to medical students. Make it look exciting. Make it look sexy. It is exciting. Most people, I would say most medical students and certainly most post um Postgraduate um, trainees have no idea who Mark Corson. I mean, I mean, not that Mark Corson. They don't know what a metabolic geneticist is, so they don't even know that this is um, an opportunity. There are people, there are students there who like biochemistry, but they never thought there's any clinical relevance. So, if you could do that, um, I would be forever grateful. We will take that under advisement, and this, the podcast starts with that. And obviously, some of the things we're doing around the year of the zebras is with the hope of getting people excited about these fields and these specific conditions, for sure. Thank you. You know, you began this interview articulately describing why you chose medicine over law. And I'm curious, what advice would you give? What additional things would you say to, say, a first-year medical student or a pre-nursing student about pursuing their careers in healthcare, given uh, how much healthcare has changed since the last few years? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, what I would say is um, what you do in school has nothing to do with what's, what, what happens after school. That school, you just have to get through it, learn what you can. All your, most of your learning is going to occur on the outside. Um, how you do in the classroom does not reflect on how you'll do with patients. So um, don't be dismayed with the, the work, with the challenges within the school environment. Um, just push through it because there's another world on the other side. So um, just be patient for that. Two, medicine is becoming increasingly complex. 
and and harsh and unfriendly and medicine will consume you if you don't protect yourself so actually when i was a when i was a pediatric resident uh, in canada there was a survey across the country to residents um, what are the major factors uh, that determine how good your teaching program was? Number one was how good your life was outside residency. So it didn't, it wasn't the lectures, it wasn't the quality of the patient, you know, the 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 conferences, it wasn't the how good the faculty were. It was something that was very practical and personal. So um, if you you have to protect your personal life and um, protect it um, greedily. And um, because if you don't do that, at some point you're gonna regret it and it's going to impact how you like your career and, and, and start that as early as you can. Fantastic advice, really great advice. And, and kind of the, this is now an increasingly personal question I ask because uh, even when I spoke to you last, uh, Mark, and many of our podcast guests, I hadn't yet made the decision to return and finish medical school, but I will be going back to, to Hopkins later this year to finish med school. And so I, I'm personally intrigued by the answers uh, that you and others have, have provided uh, to that question. Well, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, I know we're at time. So my last question for you is, is there anything else that you wanted uh, you want our audience to know about you, VMP genetics, metabolic disorders, or anything else in the space? Well, um, we're always looking for um, people with good ideas, um, people who are interested in us. This patient community is so in need of friends and allies. If you have something that you would um, like to share or be part of or contribute, um, I'm always with, I'm always um, eager to hear. Um, some things are not practical, but let's see let's talk about it awesome we'll make sure people get in touch and what is the best way for people to get in touch with you if you go to the vmp genetics website you should uh, you can get in touch with me through the website and um once i um once i hear from you then i will write to you and you'll have my email address and um and uh phone number and everything so we'll be able to keep in contact. Awesome. Well, I recommend our audience who's interested get involved, at least follow the links that you provided. And hopefully they'll be writing some poems and, and stories about metabolic diseases soon enough. Um, so Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us in the podcast. And more importantly, for the work that you've done to raise the line for so many people out there who've had uh, rare and uh, metabolic and genetic diseases. It's been a pleasure uh, speaking today. And uh, thank you for all the good work you are doing and for getting and for raising awareness about rare disease. Thank you so much. And with that, I'm Shifu Glani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.